Welcome to Timothy Eden Memorial Church, a place for life. Connect, participate, celebrate. And would you please pray with me? Gracious and loving God, we thank you for the love that you have poured out on us, for the love that we receive through the words of Scripture. We pray now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. You are our strength and our redeemer. Amen. So 1 Corinthians 13 may not have been the scripture passage that you were expecting today for a Remembrance Sunday service. You're probably more accustomed to hearing this scripture passage at weddings, like at every single wedding you have ever attended. (laughs) I send out a whole list of scripture options to brides and grooms to choose from. They all, with few exceptions, choose this one. In case you're wondering, no, Chris and I did not choose this scripture passage for our wedding, or or more specifically, I nixed it, and Chris had no say in the matter. (laughs) I can't honestly say that I blame these couples for choosing it. It is a beautiful passage of scripture. It's very poetic, a truly lovely meaning behind it. It's too poetic, in fact, to have actually been written by St. Paul. I don't know if you've noticed as you've heard the scripture readings over the past few weeks, um, but poetry is not exactly Paul's writing style. Paul's style is more, you foolish Galatians, have you taken leave of your senses? That's more Paul's style, not so much poetry. Paul probably just inserted a familiar poem here, one that would have been known to the Corinthians, well-known, perhaps they'd memorized it, the way we preachers tend to use quotes and stories to illustrate the point we're trying to make. It was probably familiar at the time, something they would already know and understand. And so he here included this familiar uh, poem in his letter to the Corinthians. It's like if I started reciting, some say love, it is a river that drowns the tender reed. Some say love, it is a razor that leaves your soul to bleed. Some say love, it is a hunger, an endless aching need. I say love, it is a flower, and you its only seed. You all know I didn't write that. Although, most, although modern copyright standards are much tighter now than they were in Paul's time, and I would be remiss if I Uh, didn't mention that this wasn't written by me, and you probably already recognize it, though, as the well-known song sung by Bette Midler in the 1980 movie, The Rose, right? This poem that Paul used was probably similarly familiar and known to the Corinthians, and I apologize if this is now going to be your earworm for the rest of the week. 
And just as DJs probably get, got sick of playing the rose at every single wedding in the 1980s, I confess that I keep hoping that one day a bride and groom will choose a different scripture passage. It's a very selfish wish, though, and I shouldn't think that way. I mean, of all the people in the room at the wedding on that day, there are probably only three, myself, Joanne, and Stephen, who have already heard it 500 times at weddings. And in all fairness, the service really isn't about us anyway. It is an important passage for weddings, uh, for sure. It's, it's a good reminder of what, tr- uh, what love truly means and, and how we as adults express mature, faithful love beyond all of the sentimentality and excitement of the wedding day. Because of that, I have occasionally used it as fu- at funerals as well. But it really is an appropriate passage to hear on Remembrance Sunday and to understand why we have to consider it in the language it was written in in Koine Greek. Um, This is the language that, that Paul wrote in and the language that the Corinthians received it in. The word love is used a total of nine times in this passage, but the single English word love is insufficient for us to really understand what Paul is saying here. When I, you read this at, at weddings, I often joke with the wedding couples um, that in English we use the word love in so many different ways. For example, you can say, I love pizza. And I really do love pizza. I love, you know, those thin crust gourmet pizzas with all of the bubbling cheese and you know how the, the little bits of burnt crust on top delicious i love it right but i also say i love my dad and i do love my dad and he's probably watching on the live stream this morning love you dad <laughs> i love my dad more than i love pizza i also love my husband chris of course, also more than pizza. (laughs) And I can also say I love my job, which I do most days. I love Chris every day. I love my job most days, right? But here's the thing. You can also say, I'd love to choke that person. (laughs) And these uses of love express very different sentiments, all using the same word. But Paul's use of the Greek word that we have translated here as love is much more specific. Ancient Koine Greek had about four total words to signify the various types of love that we can use in a variety of uh, relationships and situations. And three of them were most common. So the three that were commonly used were eros, philia, and agape. Now, eros is that passionate or romantic love of movies, right? Um, it, it's the root word, it's the root of our English word erotic. So it's romantic, passionate love. Interestingly, this word is not used in the New Testament at all. 
the two koine words for love that are used in the New Testament are philia and agape. The word philia refers to the bonds of affection that we all feel for any number of friends or family members. The philia would be the bonds of love that we all feel for one another here in this room. The name of the city Philadelphia combines this word philia with the koine word adelphos, philia adelphos, and adelphos means brother, and so you get the city of brotherly love. That's philia. But the word that Paul uses throughout this passage all nine times is agape. Agape. Agape has a different meaning altogether, which is what makes this passage so appropriate for this day of Solomon of solemn remembrance. Agape is self-sacrificial love. It's the love of unconditional, unwavering commitment to another. It's the kind of love that puts other people's needs ahead of our own. It's the kind of love that lays down its life for others. It's certainly appropriate in the, in the context of a, of a marriage. We hope we would find all three of those loves, eros, eros philia, and agape in a marriage relationship. But, but, that's, but a marriage is not what Paul was talking about here. Immediately before this passage, in chapter 12, Paul is talking about how to get along with one another in a Christian community. So he writes about being the body of Christ, right? And as the body of Christ, uh, what we do, we bear one another's burdens. We give honor to all of the rich diversity of, of gifts that people bring to the community of faith. That's what he's talking about. And then he says, I will show you a still more excellent way. And chapter 13 is the more excellent way. It's the way of agape. This is how we're called to love one another. Agape, self-sacrificial love. Agape is the love lived out in Jesus Christ who laid down his own life not for his own sake, but for the salvation of the world. If we are his body, then we too lay down our lives for each other. Many of the men and women who went to war and sacrificed their lives, those members of our church whose names David read out a few moments ago, went offering their own lives, expecting nothing in return. They gave their all for God, for their country, for their families, for their friends, for us. Strangers they had never even met. And they did so trusting that the one who laid down his own life for them would come for them and would take them home should the ultimate sacrifice be required of them. A story was written a, a few years ago, and, and it's, 
a fairly common uh, story. I think some of you have probably heard it before. It's a story of a man who was very old by the time, but he could still hold himself at attention before the cenotaph at the Remembrance Day parade. His war, the one to end all wars, was now just a fading part of history. Right? He knew that very few people could now remember firsthand the savageness of the ordeal that had sent millions of young people to their deaths. The old man at the cenotaph was haunted by the faces of the boys he'd had to order into battle, the ones who never came back. Yet one nameless ghost was able to bring a measure of comfort to his mind. At the sound of the gun signaling the 11th hour, he was mentally transported back to the fields of Flanders. The battle had raged for over two hours, he remembered, with neither side gaining any advantage. Wave after wave of soldiers had been dispatched from the muddy trenches and sent over the top. So many had died already that day that he decided he could not afford to lose any more men before reinforcements arrived. There came a slight lull in the battle due to the sheer exhaustion of the men on both sides. During this interval, a young soldier came up to him, requesting that he be allowed to go over the top. He looked at the boy who couldn't have been more than 19. Was this extreme bravery in the face of an enemy, or was the soldier so scared he just needed to get it over with? Why would you want to throw your life away, soldier? It's almost certain death to go out there. My best friend went out over an hour ago, Captain, and he hasn't come back. I know my friend must be hurting and calling for me. I must go to him, sir. I must. There were tears in the boy's eyes. It was as if this were the most important thing in the world to him. Soldier, I'm very sorry, but your friend is probably dead. What purpose would it serve to let you sacrifice your life too? At least I'd know I tried, sir. He'd do the same thing in my shoes. I know he would. He wanted to order the boy back to the ranks, but the impact of his words softened his heart. He remembered the awful pain he'd felt himself when his own brother died. He'd never had the chance to say goodbye. All right, soldier, you can go. Despite the horror all around them, he saw a relieved smile on the boy's face. God bless you, sir, said the soldier. It was a long time before the guns fell silent for the last time, and each side was allowed to gather their dead and wounded. The captain remembered the young soldier. He looked through the many piles of bodies, young men, 
so many as to give an unreal quality to the scene before him. When he came to the makeshift hospital, he looked carefully through the casualties, and soon he found himself before the prone body of the soldier, alive but severely wounded. He knelt down beside the young man and gently laid a hand on his shoulder. I'm sorry, son. I knew I was wrong to let you go. Oh, no, sir, I'm glad you did. And I'm so glad you're here now so that I can thank you. You see, I found my friend. He was badly wounded, but I was able to comfort him in the end. As I held him dying in my arms, he looked me in the eyes and he said, I knew you'd come. The young soldier faded between consciousness and oblivion for some time before he finally slipped away. The captain stayed by his side until the end. Only in war can the happy endings be so painful. As the bugle sounded taps, the old captain at the cenotaph envisioned once again the young soldier's face. Looking up at the stone monument, he could almost hear it saying to him, I knew you'd come. The bravery of so many women and men like this one, humble people who were willing to sacrifice it all, not for personal gain, but completely for the sake of others. The ones who demonstrate true agape love that is so rare in our world nowadays. These ones remind us of the love of our God, who stood to gain nothing at all, and yet he gave it all, the ultimate sacrifice. So on that day when he returns or calls us home, we can look on his face with assurance and say, I knew you'd come. Amen. <laughs>